So we're looking at this series over these next few weeks. We're calling it The Outlaw Jesus. Just a very, very quick uh, reminder of where we're headed with this. One of the key points that we need to realize is that the very nature of who Jesus is means that he will confront every single one of us in some way or another. Uh, I guess down through the centuries, there have have been lots of people who have, in some ways quite rightly, in other ways, they've said, Jesus is with me, Jesus is with me and against you and all of that kind of thing. The reality is that in some way or another, when we come into a true and living appreciation of who Jesus is, he will disrupt us, every single one of us. Jesus will never only come into our lives and bring comfort and help. He will do that. Absolutely, he will do that. But he will challenge us, every single one of us. No matter what background we're from, no matter, no matter what culture we're from, no, what gen, no matter what generation we're from, if we go down through the centuries, it's changed the world. Uh, the world has changed, rather, in all sorts of ways. The reality is that no matter where we are, Jesus will continue to confront us. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be confronted because we need to be changed. That's where we're headed with this. And therefore, we're calling it the outlawed Jesus because what I'm saying is that Jesus sits in some way outside of all of the laws that we construct for ourselves. We believe these things to be absolute. We believe these things to be true. We are confronted with Jesus and we realize he is an outlaw to that which we hold on to. And we need to realize how that outlaw status of Jesus is a good thing. It's been a fascinating week. Most of you who know me will not be surprised to realize that I've been fascinated following the the two... um, broadcasts which are recorded of uh, Lance Armstrong's confession to Oprah. It has been in cycling terms and I can see a whole load of you have got glassy eyes. You think, what is this all about? Lance Armstrong, historically this mega cyclist, cancer survivor, seven times winner of the Tour de France, biggest bike ride in the whole of history, seven times winner, absolutely for a decade or so, staunchly argued against the fact that he's used performance-enhancing drugs this week. Finally, what has been obvious has now been confessed to. What impressed me, and I am no Lance fan, as some of you know, what impressed me was this. He said he didn't come with that sort of... um, you know, the sort of blubbering confession on, I need your help and I've gone to therapy and all the rest of it and therefore I'm a completely changed person from this moment. He said this, he recognized that he is fighting with the problem of who he is. That impressed me because the reality is every single one of us are fighting with the problem of who we are. That's what the Bible wants us to see at a deep level. He also said this, competition deep down, it's what I do, it's who I am. At the very core of why he wants to confess, I think, is because he wants to be allowed to be able to compete again because that is his 
identity. It's who he is. We need to realize that our identity, as we construct our identity for ourselves in however we construct it, our identity becomes our security as the people that we are. However we construct that identity, however we build it up, and there are many ways in which we build it up, when we build up that that identity, it becomes the security of living through life. And what I want to look at this afternoon is to understand how Jesus becomes the outlaw to our rules of security. Here's a young man who comes to Jesus. In a nutshell, he comes to him and he says, How do I gain inherit eternal life? Jesus says, we'll cover various bits as we go through it, but essentially he says to him, go and sell everything. He's a really rich man. Go and sell everything uh, and give to the poor and then come and follow me. And the young man goes away, devastated. Jesus then turns around and he says, "Um, look at that. Look how incredibly difficult it is for a rich man. In fact, it's impossible for somebody who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it is so difficult, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That, in a nutshell, is what we're going to be looking at this afternoon. But I want to see that there are four ways in which Jesus confronts our idea of security. Firstly, in authority. Secondly, in blessing. Thirdly, in security. And fourthly, in our logic for hope. Okay, there's the four. We'll go through them really quickly. First one, authority. Look at what happens in verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus, we'll put Jesus' name in there so we know where we're headed, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Fascinating. I, I, I think it would be difficult to understand how that would work today. In that particular generation, it was understood, it was clearly in the mind, in the thought that the way that I gain eternal life is by going outside of myself, by understanding that I have to go out of myself to understand so that I take it in. And I accept it, and then I change. So it's going outside and coming in. Now let's think about how we operate today. Firstly, I think there are very, very, very few people who don't have some sense of there being more than the here and now. That's the first thing I want to say. When we talk about eternal life, that concept, there are very, very few people who will really absolutely hand on heart say, when you nail me in a box and put me in the ground, that is it. I I I think most people have a sense of I want to have some sort of idea that the ones that I love who are no longer with me have some idea, some sense of continuity, some life beyond. So the first thing I want to say in our generation today, the idea of eternal life, I don't think is that unusual. I think we've got to work out what that means, yes, but I think it's not so far from what we have written down deep inside of us. That sense of there is more. The problem that we have 
is that we live in a world which has so convinced us, so convinced you and me, I think, in the most part, that we are free ourselves to decide what we think that eternal life is. That's the kind of world that we live in. So really we live in the kind of world that says, your idea of eternal life and my idea of eternal life carry exactly the same weight. Um, they're, they're all of the same value. They're, whatever you think for yourself is valuable, is worthwhile. If you hold on to that, that's great for you. That's, that's fine. But for me, I think something different. Now, on one level, if it is dependent on just the ideas of human beings, then I would say, I'm with you. (laughs) If it's just down to you and me, your idea is just as good as my idea. But what Jesus does is he confronts us with that idea. Right at the very beginning of this series, what we said, what we, the starting point was, this is God present in the world. That changes everything. It changes everything. It means that if I, go t- and if I come to you and I say, what's your idea of eternal life? And I think about your idea, and, and then I think about my idea, then they're kind of equally valid, aren't they? Because we're both just ordinary human beings. But if I come to Jesus, who is the God who created this world, present in this world, if I come to him, suddenly I realize something incredibly important. His authority on defining what is eternal life, because of who he is, has far greater weight than mine. So I can sit here and I can say, do you know what I really think is kind of just become a kind of spiritual being that floats up into the nothingness and becomes yet another beautiful star in the sky. I'd love to think, actually, I wouldn't love to think that, but, you know, it sounds really nice. And I come to Jesus, God present in the world, and I say, that's what I think. What do you think, Jesus? And he says, well, actually... I'm the living God who created you. My definition of life beyond this life that you currently live is that every single one of us will one day face the God who created you as judge. You will give an account. Well, now if you said that to me with no foundation whatsoever... I could consider my idea of floating up into the sky and being another star as just as valid as your idea. But if the God who created us says that's how it is, he comes with a whole different authority. That's the first thing that I think we need to see. We don't sit so easily with the idea of going outside of ourselves to understand what eternal life is and how I might gain it. And yet what we see here is this young man who does just that. He goes to Jesus and he says, how might I gain eternal life? Jesus comes to you and to me and he says, let me define it. Now you come to me and does your view of eternal life have a greater authority than my view? Or does my view because of who I am have a greater authority over you?
we do not live in a relative world where all of our ideas have equal importance. In one sense, I think that's kind of arguable, apart from Jesus, who comes with an authority that is greater than you and is greater than me. That's a real confrontation, isn't it? He outlaws our view of what is true. He becomes the rule. We think him to be the outlaw, and yet what he actually does is he steps in and he becomes the law of what is true. Secondly, we see that in this little story, Jesus confronts our idea of what we think blessing is. Jesus turns around to this man and he says, "Um, go and sell everything. Sell everything you have, verse 22. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. I wonder how it must have felt for that man. He comes to Jesus and he comes with a whole load of confidence. He comes with a confidence that says, I think this is how it would have worked in his mind. I think that one of the evidences that God is for me is the fact that I have been blessed with what I have got. That would have been written into the thinking of his community. I am I, one of the marks of what I think is clear evidence that I'm already on the right track of being with God is the fact that I've been blessed with all of these riches. Now, if we read some parts of the Old Testament in certain ways, we might understand that to be why you might think in that way. Listen, if we just go to the very first psalm, Psalm 1, it says this in verse 3. The person who is basically the person who is righteous, the person who is, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. In other words, somebody who is faithful to God is somebody who is planted next to a a stream and therefore the goodness of the stream is nurturing them and is close by. They're planted near to a stream which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. And here's this man, therefore, and he thinks to himself, One of the ways that I think I'm clear in my mind that God is blessing me is because I've got what I have. And then Jesus turns around and he says, give it away. Give it away. I don't, we're going to come to the reason why I don't think Jesus is making that demand on every one of us. But I think at least what he's saying to this young man, and I think it's evident by the way we read these next few verses, is the way in which Jesus confronts our idea of blessing is this. 
do not believe, do not believe that visible blessings in this world are a measure of how God is blessing you. Do not measure that. Do not think of that. You cannot think of that in that way. I think there's lots of reasons in the New Testament why we might be able to hold on to that truth. Don't use the idea of tangible blessings as a measure of how much God is blessing me and therefore is with me. I want you to think about um, the greatest, um, the, the one who probably in the, in the early part of the church spread the message of the gospel more than anybody else was the Apostle Paul. He went across the whole of um, what was known Europe at that time, pretty much most of those places, and he spread the message in a remarkable way. He was shipwrecked, he was thrown into prison, he was beaten, there was times when he was hungry, there was times when he didn't know where his next meal was coming from. At the end of his life, how does he end his life? Does he end his life with blessing? No. He ends his life in a Roman prison. And he says this in his letter to Timothy, he says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I am being poured out. Everything that is me is just being, I'm being just emptied on behalf of this mission. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, listen, this is, this is really important. He's saying, in human terms, I'm in a Roman prison. I don't know whether tomorrow the guards are going to knock on the door. Well, <laughs> I guess they wouldn't knock. I guess they'd just come in. Uh, they'd come in, they'd take me, and I will be executed. That might happen tomorrow. I recognize now that I've run the race. He's saying there, I know that I've, I recognize there's no more running to do. The race is over. I've done all that I'm going to do. I now know that the prospect of execution is not in the distance. It's imminent. I've done the job. But, and this is the really important part, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Now, this is where the blessing comes in. He sat in a Roman jail, but he knows he's blessed. You see? He's he's emptied of everything that we might think is good in this world, and yet he is confident, I am a blessed person. I'm blessed by God because my treasure, my security, my hope is prepared and protected for me. One of the tragedies that we've seen in the past few, well, I guess the past decade, is so many occasions where things, where individuals have realized what they've saved for, what they've protected in their pensions, in their savings, has just disappeared. It's gone. Overnight, finished. The riches that I thought I had secured for myself have disappeared. (laughs) And Paul says, I am blessed because I know that the riches that I have can never disappear. 
Now listen to what Jesus says to this young man. He says, sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Not because, it's not like cash this in, and if if you put a hundred pounds into the poor over there, you know, the economy of heaven says, I'm going to give you 500 millions worth of heaven's credits. You know, depending on what you put in over there, I'll make sure that I... It's not... Well, it doesn't work like that. It says, when you commit yourself to me, the blessings are immeasurable and secure. The tragedy for this young man and the tragedy for many people today is we measure whether God is with me by how well I'm doing in life. Whether it's financially, whether it's relationships, whether it's security at work, whether it's the home that I live in, I measure how well I am doing by how well life is going. Therefore, I am on a constant emotional roller coaster. If, if next week I lose my job, therefore, God isn't with me anymore. If I don't get that pay rise, does that mean that God isn't with me anymore? If the banks do collapse and I lose all of my savings, does that mean that God isn't with me anymore? Jesus outlaws that thinking. And he says, your security is absolutely guaranteed because the blessing is not tangible now. It's real in eternity. Completely subverts what we think of blessing. There is a significant movement in the church today to encourage us to think that our blessing can be measured by how well we're being provided for. And I've had too many conversations with people who have realized that that is an emotionally turmoiling, emotionally turmoil. It is emotional turmoil to try to deal with that. It is a hiding to nothing. When Paul is in a Roman jail, he knows God is blessing him. Security. I guess we have layers of security. This man had layers of security. He comes to Jesus and he says, how can I gain eternal life? Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All of those things, you you know all of the commandments. And the man is able to say, and I believe he is able to say it with a clear conscience... He's able to say, I have lived like that. He's able to say that. I don't think it's a false statement. I don't think he's perfect. (laughs) But I do think that he's able to say, I've lived like that. I've done all of those things. Confident. First layer of security is okay. Jesus doesn't challenge him on it. Do you see that? Doesn't challenge him on it. Jesus 
in a sense, Jesus isn't worried about the first layer of security, the first claim of security. It doesn't bother him. He's quite confident to say, I need to go to the next layer of security. No issues, because what I want you to do, I'm not going to challenge that. I'm just going to say, go and sell everything. And that's where it hits. That's where it hits. Because his security was in what he had constructed for himself. That was his real security. It's what he couldn't do without. Lance Armstrong um, wrote a book, It's Not About the Bike. I think, yeah, it's not about the bike, is it? It's about constructing security for life. You do it and I do it. How am I going to navigate, negotiate this life and be sure that I'm okay? One of the ways in which we, I think we can understand what is our deepest point of security is this. What can I, what is there in my life that if it was taken away, I'm finished? I actually think that this young man could cope better with moral failure than with losing the security of his riches. He's been able to say to Jesus, I've done all of these things. But Jesus put his finger on the real security underneath. In other words, he could mess up and cope better than losing that. He could lose these surface things, but don't let me lose the deeper thing. The security of the riches that I have put away. The protection from everything that could possibly happen to me. I'm safe. We live in a generation that is striving for that. I'm safe. I'm bulletproof. You know, I'm okay now. Phew, I've paid off the mortgage. I've I've managed to make sure that I've got this this pot of money that that if it no matter what happens it doesn't matter if the interest rate stays at the rate that it is I'm still okay I've got these schemes in place I've got this pattern of life in place that no matter what happens I'm safe and Jesus says effectively to this young man. If you think that your security before God is written into that, you don't understand yourself and you don't understand the God who made you. He's encouraging the young man to confront the issue. I can never construct anything that assures me of eternal life. I can't do it. So Jesus peels away the layers of the security. The identity that he'd constructed for himself was a man who was rich. The identity that you've constructed for yourself 
and the identity that I've constructed for myself, we need to go away and really think through and say, how does Jesus say to me, get rid of that issue? Prize your fingers off that particular area of your life. Realize you can never stand before me and hold on to that. That's the issue. The security that he's confronted. He's created and God confronts. Jesus confronts that security and says, don't hold on to that. Fourth security, logic for hope. <laughs> Look at what Jesus says. You know what? It's easier, it's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. I was thinking about this and it suddenly dawned on me. I, I guess for pretty much all of the hearers, a camel was the biggest moving object that they were likely to see. <laughs> you know, we'd probably say, you know, I don't know, a, a double-decker bus, whatever it is, the biggest thing that we see regularly wandering around uh, and the tiniest thing that we can imagine, a needle and a thread. Both of those things would have been incredibly common. Some of you might even wonder what a needle is. Uh, it, but for, for the culture of the day, a needle would have been a very common thing. And you just imagine, get a camel through the eye of a needle, impossible. In fact, that is exactly what the hearers said. What, uh, they said, well, who then can be saved? Why did they say that? Because they were in exactly the same frame of mind as the young man. I live in a world, surely, where what I've got is a measure of God's... But he's been really blessed. I mean, he lives... He doesn't live in the, in the kind of center of town. He lives out in the suburbs. You know, he lives in those... They, one of those roads with the palm trees at the side of the road, that young man. He doesn't live in the, in the, the two up, two down, or in the many of us sharing one room, the kind of, the room behind the, the baker's kind of situation in the town. He's made it. But you know what? Even though I'm living in the room behind the baker's, I'm blessed. Because I'm not out on the streets. And so the people who are hearing, they all have their different measures and they say, but how can anybody be saved then? Because the logic surely is that we can understand who can be saved by understanding, by looking at them, how God is blessing them. And then Jesus turns around and says, if you carry on thinking that your security is measured by what you do, your logic is wrong. He actually says the logic works like this. It's easier for somebody who is blessed, somebody who's rich, it's easier for them to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. In other words, it's impossible for them to do it. You can't do it. No one can get into heaven, Jesus basically says. No one can get into heaven. No matter how blessed I think I am, no one and get into heaven. And then he turns around and he says, but with God everything is possible. That is the most hope-filled 
statement in this little story. Because it says this, when you think it's impossible, when you realize that it is impossible, you see the man's point, was the, the young man's issue was that he thought his security was in that and he needed to realize it, it could never be in that. And then he'd realize, but then that means I've got no hope. And what does that do? It throws us back on a different logic for hope for the future. It throws us back on a logic which says it is not dependent on us. It's dependent on the God who can do the impossible. That's what it's dependent on. That's what eternal life is dependent on. The God who can do the impossible. Because the reality is that this man's barrier was his wealth. Maybe for others it's the barrier that he has broken the, the commandments that the, men, the young man was so confident that he, he was secure in. Maybe he was confident that he hadn't committed adultery or murdered or stolen or given false testimony. Maybe he'd all, always honored his father and mother but, and therefore he was safe there but then he realized he's got no hope and, and others would say, but I've got no hope because of some of those. Neither. Neither perceived blessing, nor being as good as we possibly can, are good enough. And yet the impossible is what God does. The impossible is that he takes those who will never be able to get to heaven and makes a way for them to get to heaven. The impossible is what God does. I don't know all of your backgrounds, all of your situations, but I guess that in a room like this, some of us will be sat here thinking, you know, I know what's back there. I know that there are issues back there that when I realize how, how good and how pure God is, there's no way, there's no way that I'm ever going to wipe out what's back there. It's impossible. And I would say, Jesus says, according to this, that is precisely why you can come to me. Because I'm the one who can deal with all of those impossible barriers back there. The things that stop you. The things that you look at and you think, I know, nobody else knows. Maybe your closest family and friends don't know what's back there. But you do. And you think it's impossible. There's no way that God would accept me. And according to his law, we would say, you're right. You'll never do it. But according to his grace and his mercy, he says, come to me because I can do the impossible. But you see, there's another, there's another flip in the logic there, isn't there? Because lo as long as we carry on thinking that it's possible for us, we're relying on ourselves and we re we, we're headed for failure. We need to reach the point that we're dependent upon the God of the impossible. And then we realize that our security is in Him. 
Jesus says to the young man, look, your security is not in your riches. Get rid of them, and then your security is in what? Following me. Come follow me, he says. Then follow, just get rid of it. Let go of the securities that you're holding on to and be a follower of me. The word that we use in that is disciple. Be a follower of Jesus. And then your identity is not in your securities, not in what you've constructed for yourselves. Your identity is in being a follower of Jesus. And then you are secure. One of the things that we need to realize is that Jesus rips out our securities, rips them away, whether they're moral securities, whether they're financial securities, gets rid of them and he says, he doesn't leave us helpless. He doesn't leave us without identity. He says, follow me and then you've got the best security that you can possibly want. Uh, It's interesting as the... um, as the interview closed with Oprah, um, something that Lance Armstrong's wife had said to him, his first wife had said to him, she sounds as if she's got some sort of Christian background. She said, you know what, the, the truth will set you free. And um, Oprah said to him, well, where are you? Do you really believe that you're reaching a point where the truth will set you free? The truth is that as long as we hold on to our identities, maybe for Lance it's being a a competitor, that's who I am, that's my security. As long as we keep holding on to those securities, we will never make relationship with Jesus. But when he lets, allows us by his grace to let go of those securities... And we become a follower of him. We have the most secure identity that we could possibly imagine.